Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking movies, TV, comics, and more. Join in the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for another edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. I am your host, Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, is the co-host. It's Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to discuss, so let's waste no more time, shall we? Hit us up on our social media accounts. You can find them at OchoDuroParlayHour.com and join in the conversation using the hashtag ODPH. Because there was a movie that hit the box office this week that we have to discuss. Mm-hmm. And it has gotten a little bit of controversy, a little bit of... Hmm, dare I say, puzzlement of why it wasn't a bigger success in some yeah. people's eyes. Yeah. And that is the movie formerly known as Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. No, I will not try saying that five times fast because I was barely lucky I got through that first time. It is Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey. Well, and you say formally, it's kind of hard to figure out because the movie for months and months and months was known as Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. You know, you go to the theater, you know, I'm almost curious what it, it, we saw. It, that was what its title was. I'm almost curious what you go and see it now, what the title is going to be. I'm almost assuming it's probably the same thing. But, you know, they changed the name and everyone's wondering why and you know, everyone's speculating. But then a Warner Brothers spokesman uh, reached out to various sites, including IGN, uh, and said that the official title remains the same and that this new title is only being used by ticket sites to help search expansion. The original had Harley Quinn at the end of a very long title, so this new title is designed to help people better find the movie when searching for Harley Quinn. Yeah. So why they changed it, we don't know. We don't know, but obviously if you know anything about the DC Comics history, you know Harley Quinn is arguably one of their biggest and most popular heroes. It's so weird to say hero, mm-hmm. knowing where the character came from, because originally introduced on Batman the Animated Series yeah. as the Joker's sidekick. Yeah. Harley Quinn has evolved into one of the biggest faces in comic books. Mm -hmm. And to see how her popularity has skyrocketed, she is up there with Wonder Woman as the top female face at DC Comics. It's a 1A1B in a lot of people's eyes. So obviously when the DCEU was getting formed, it was only a matter of time when we're going to see Harley Quinn make her appearance on the big screen and debuted in the Suicide Squad movie, with Margot Robbie playing her in the film. And at that time, too, this is coming off the heels of the Zack Snyderverse. And mm-hmm. the movie, The Suicide Squad, kind, okay. of, kind of mixed reactions. I thought it was a fun movie. It's not something that I say has been my go-to by any means. Yeah. But it definitely served the purpose of establishing Harley Quinn in this new film universe. So, obviously, due to that success, they've decided to spin her out into her own movie franchise. Mm-hmm. And it was announced that she was going to be reappearing in the Birds of Prey movie. Now, if you're not familiar with DC Comics, Birds of Prey is a superhero team that is based in Gotham City and really has never had too many ties per se with Harley Quinn. No. I don't really remember top of my head of her having a long-standing run with Birds of Prey, but I could be wrong. It's always been pretty much tied into Barbara Gordon, a.k.a. Oracle, and Dinah Lance and kind of a rotating cast. So Harley Quinn might have been there for a little bit, but mostly she plays the anti-hero, so not really on a team book like that for long. So I'm probably missing some issues either way. I never really kind of made that connection when I heard about the movie. But the casting for this, as it's been, Margot Robbie was reprising her role as Harley Quinn. Rosie Perez was playing Renee Montoya, a.k.a. The Question, number mm-hmm. two if you really follow in the comics. Yeah. Mary Elizabeth Weinstead playing Helena Bertinelli, a.k.a. The Huntress. 
Journey Smollett Bell playing Dinolance, aka Black Canary, mm-hmm. and one Ewan McGregor playing Roman Sionis, aka Black Mask. So the casting for this was very interesting. I mean, they had me sold once I said Ewan McGregor. Well, Ewan McGregor coming in and especially playing the character Black Mask, which if you're not familiar with Batman comics, not really a household name. No, I mean, most recently outside this film was kind of best known, I guess you could say, for being, if I if I remember right, the main villain in Batman Arkham Origins, the video game that came out on PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. I... I admit i didn't finish that game not that it was bad it was a very good game just my file got corrupted so yeah he's been kind of a i don't want to say throwaway villain but he's not really your joker yeah he's not exactly like taking over all of gotham and then bringing batman and his you know family to their proverbial knees no he's definitely had his moments i think one shining moment for him if you can call it shining was he was one who allegedly took out stephanie brown aka spoiler who was robin at the time uh, was presumed dead, but, you know, comics reasons is back. Mm-hmm. So really has never been like a household name. And so you see in you McGregor having some freedom to run with the character. There was some hype behind this. The trailers, though, kind of polarizing in their own rights. Yeah. Nothing really. Wow. Like, I need to see this. In fact, the first trailer was just kind of Ro- Robbie dancing around as Harley Quinn. And oh, yeah. Not really know what's going on. Kind of some flash sequences. Second trailer out definitely showed a lot of the movie. And mm-hmm. the third one. The final one, eh, you know, more of the same. Nothing really to write home about. So yeah. now the movie has finally debuted at the box office. Mm-hmm. And, Pad, you got the numbers for that? So, yeah, uh, when you go to uh, boxofficemojo.com, uh, as it currently stands, uh, here we go, Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey, had a $33 million opening weekend uh, domestically. Uh, as we sit here recording, it is uh, still number one at the box office uh, through Tuesday this week. Uh, it has got a total gross of $38.5 million. And when you look at the uh, worldwide box office, it is currently number three uh, worldwide with a total gross of $46.5 million worldwide uh, behind only Doolittle and Bad Boys for Life uh, 2 and 1 respectively. So that being said, we are going to talk some spoilers about the film because mm-hmm. we have both seen it and we got some opinions on it. So sure. in three, two, one, Pad, what did you think? You know, I thought it was fun. You know, it's not exactly if you're going to, you know, this movie expecting it to be something like a Captain America, you know, Civil War or Winter Soldier or something like deep and, and deep thought and get a lot of action and a lot of this and a lot of that out of it, you know, you're not really going to get that. But if you're going in for a fun time with a lot of violence and, you know, a lot of gore, you know, you're going to have a fun time. You definitely will to see where this character has evolved. And this is going from the days of Batman, the animated series where Arlene Sorkin and eventually Tara Strong have both voiced the character Mm -hmm. over the years. And now Kaylee Kiyoko is doing it on the DC universe uh, animated show. You weren't really sure what character you were going to get. Uh, most notably, Harley Quinn is the DC Universe's version of Deadpool. I will say that's my only one complaint with the movie. That mallet was not big enough. No, it definitely wasn't. But they did tie into a lot from the comics, which I liked. It was Yeah. Only, it was borrowed heavily, in my opinion, from Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmolati's, uh run on Harley Quinn. That it's not so much 
the Joker's sidekick and mm-hmm. focus so much on the Joker. Yeah. But establishing Harley Quinn and just the force of nature that she is. And that was one of the things I liked about the movie was um, how you went into this because we went and saw it with Jimmy uh, Gazdick from Floodlands. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if he's seen Suicide Squad. I honestly couldn't tell you. No, he hasn't. He said he didn't. So the nice thing they didn't is they gave you pretty much a recap and everything you needed to know going it right in at the start of the film. So the people who go into this who go, oh, you know what? My friends are going to this. I want to tag along with them. If you haven't seen Suicide Squad, you're good. Yeah, we had a big group going with us. Shout out to Rich from 3FN. He came down with his wife. And there was a good mix of people that knew the comics and knew Harley Quinn really well. And like I said, Jimmy from Floodlands, not really too familiar, knew about the character, but didn't really know what to expect. And this one did jump in, and I thought did a very nice job of tying in quickly to Suicide Squad. And just say, okay, what happened? It ha- it pretty much was like, it happened, it's a thing, we're going to touch lightly on it, and we're moving on. Right, so you see where the Joker and Harley Quinn are broken up now, mm-hmm. and just how she- Harley Quinn is handling the said situation Yeah, the only way she can, being as self-destructive as humanly possible. And I thought it was very interesting, because this was kind of one of the things I was wondering how they were going to handle going into this film was... Okay, she's no longer with Joker in whatever. Because I don't think they ever said in the trailer she was quote unquote broken up from him. We just knew they weren't together. I that was kind of one of the things I was wondering was all right. How are they going to handle the Joker situation? Because you've got obviously got Jared Leto who played her Joker was the guy she was in love with. That is kind of maybe sort of on the outs. Who's to say? It depends on what day or what report you're reading. Yeah. And given Joaquin Phoenix who just won you know an Oscar for Best Actor in his portrayal. That was one of the things I was wondering. I'm like, all right, how are they going to handle this with with you know her Joker being Jared Leto and obviously the hot cup of tea with Joker being Joaquin Phoenix? Thought they did a very good job with it when they showed scenes that he was in, but they never actually showed him. No, they definitely played it very well. I thought so, too, because obviously off the success of Joker with Joaquin Phoenix playing the title role, definitely a different version of Joker than what we've seen originally established with Margot Robbie's character. Mm-hmm. And the Jared Leto version is pretty much dead and gone. That you're not going to yeah. see that happen again. Yeah. Arguably, I mean, granted, crazier things have happened in the land of comics and movies. Natalie Portman, enough said. <laughs> yeah. So that being said, they kind of really sped up to things and kind of said, okay, what happened now with the breakup? And you see uh, ties into the comic, and like I said, borrowing a lot from the Connor and Palmani run. Uh, Harley Quinn is playing roller derby. Yeah. So that kind of plays in effect. Gets her hyena, which if you played Injustice 2, you know that that is mm-hmm. a character, a pet for Harley Quinn. Yeah. And ironically named Bruce. Yeah. After one Bruce Wayne. Yeah. You can only assume. And Harley decides to put the proverbial cherry on top of the Sunday after having a emotional breakdown by blowing up what caused her to become Harley Quinn after she's having the recap of her life. And that is sending a tractor trailer through Ace Chemicals for the biggest explosion you could think of. And I love just how relatable they made her emotional state after she broke up with Joker because that's the one thing I love with the movie is she's breaking the fourth wall like a Deadpool, but it's not over the top and, and constantly doing it. And it's very it's, subtle. It's very subtle. It's not you know right in your face like it is with Deadpool, which I like because it, if they did it like Deadpool, they're right, you're just copying Deadpool. But I loved how she talked about how, you know, oh, I'm handling it well. And then it's her sitting in her apartment, you know, drinking straight from a can of cheese whiz, watching Looney Tunes and bawling her eyes out. I'm like, yes, this is like the proverbial stereotypical breakup where you're sitting at home eating a pint of Haagen-Dazs and watching TV. Yeah, no, they played it perfectly. I, I thought for overall for this movie, I thought they wrote Harley Quinn the closest to the comics. Mm-hmm. 
that she's been written in a very long time. Like it I, also, it also reminded me of some of the episodes in from Batman the Animated Series where she wasn't with Joker; she was palling around with maybe Poison Ivy yeah. or somebody else. Yeah, no, I, that was. I, well, I'll get into that a little later about that. But going back to the movie, because I don't want to get too sidetracked. It does show after the explosion, you do see the effects happening through mm-hmm. her side of Gotham. You see Ewan McGregor's character, Roman Solanus, feels the effects of, okay, the Joker's girlfriend is no longer the girlfriend and yeah. you know, has to rule her in. Yeah. And is almost trying to assert almost into the power vacuum that kind of feels like is going on in Gotham. Right. And it's one thing that she says at the outset that like, you know, she's got it great. She's got it made. She even, you know, however long it is, a couple days, a couple weeks after she breaks up with the Joker, she tries to keep the charade going because, you know, she, she says in her monologue, one of her monologues, you know, I, you know, I was the Joker's girl. I could get away with whatever I want. I could drink whatever I wanted. I could shoot. I will kill, shoot and kill whoever I wanted. Nobody would touch me because I'm Joker's Joker's girl. Yeah. So I got, didn't get around to telling everybody right away about it. Yeah. So that was a, definitely a Harley move as you've seen. And to give some life to Sionis's character, you McGregor just hammed it up and was mm-hmm. definitely, he, he was chewing scenery. I, and to see how his character was asserting himself through Gotham, there is a moment in the film where he has a family tied up upside down. Oh God. With one Victor Zaz, yeah, which we didn't really didn't see that coming. Co- see right away, but if you know about the DCU and you know about Victor Zaz, nothing good happens when he shows up. Well, it, it's it's a great introduction because they they bring the guy in and you know not great, and then he kills the family, kills the family, and it's not until they never say the guy's name. No. He just says he just kind of snaps his you know Ewan McGregor just kind of snaps his finger and says, "Yep, take care of him." And then it's not till a later scene where he's—he doesn't even say the first name; he just says the last name. And it's totally for the comic book fans and the folks who played the video games and whatnot. You could just hear because I heard—I heard it. I was—he goes Zaz. I'm like, oh shit. Yeah, I think everybody that was in our group at the theater, the minute we heard Zaz, you knew who the comic readers were because I think everybody did a collective, oh shit. Uh huh. And to see where he goes because Zaz is not exactly a nice character to say the least. Chris Messina was playing him in, in the film. Did an excellent job for what he had to do because he was just the henchman yeah. for him. Yeah. And like I said, when Zaz or Samus is trying to shake down a business in Gotham and he has the family tied upside down, you see that Zaz is doing the violent killing that he enjoys doing. And then when it gets to the final character who's a, who's a child, uh, you know, a teenager, and he's like, oh, I won't do that to you. Wait, is that snot on your nose? <laughs> oh, God, no, never mind. Take care of it. And just you see the face getting cut off, which... If you know certain elements of uh, detective comic stories, I'm not saying that it's going to play into a future movie, and yeah. I, I think some people were looking too much into it, but there might be some elements maybe down the road. Just going to leave Could that be. with that. But I thought it was kind of nice how they just really implemented the threat of uh, Black Mask into this because typically, like I said, he's very disposable, very just a one-dimensional mm-hmm. character. But as we see, Zaz is doing his work for him. He has the... Nightclub under wraps there with Dinolas is, I don't want to say his prisoner, but he's definitely enforcing his will that for this section of Gotham, he's pretty much untouchable. Yeah, she, yeah he's pretty much untouchable, and he's got Dinah in a point where I think on some level she knows what's going on. She kind of plays it off in the movie that at the start she doesn't really know what's going on, and she's okay with it, and she's happy with it. But he's definitely got her under his thumb in such a way that, you know, it's almost like you need me and I need you. So like, let's just agree with this, even though this isn't the best relationship. Yeah. And it definitely plays into so many factors that I thought with Dinalas's character, cause we've seen her on arrow. Yep. And obviously this one was a different take. I love this take though. Oh yeah. I thought, so do I. I thought this one felt more like the comics. 
just with how her character is, just you know the emo- just you know the I don't want to say cold blooded assassin, but when it came time to throw down, she threw down. And one thing about this movie too, the action sequences mm-hmm. throughout. Great choreography. Oh my god, great choreography for this. Great choreography. Yeah. And then you start seeing the different elements go out through Gotham, and this is how the Birds of Prey come into play. Mm-hmm. Because, obviously, blowing up Ace Chemicals, you're going to draw some attention. Yeah, when you blow up a chemical plant, especially that one in Gotham, a little bit of a signal getting lit into the sky. Right. And one detective, Renee Montoya, goes there investigating. And during this time, though, she's also investigating someone with a crossbow doing some killings. Right. She's at a almost like a mob hangout restaurant type thing. It's not she goes and investigates. She walks outside. Yeah. She like she's investigating this other thing that's already going on and then one of her you know subordinates comes in and goes, Hey, you need to come outside. Yeah. And then she starts finding the necklace of Harley Quinn that she threw the the Joker gave her. And then Renee Montoya being the detective is piecing this together. Mm-hmm. I thought it was very not rushed, but it just kind of seemed like very quick quick thinking on her part. Yeah. But obviously they're trying to establish about her her detective skills. Because if you know anything about the character of the question, you know that that's a detective at heart too. Mm-hmm. So I thought they played that very well. And obviously she's doing double duty. And just how she's piecing everything together I thought was, was very interesting. So going from there, we do see another character we know in the comics. And that is one Cassandra Kane. Yeah. Now this version is very different than the comics. Ella J. Bosco played Cassandra Kane in the movie. But like I said, this version, she's just a pickpocket that is more or less orphaned for her own her own, you know, story in this in this book. Mm-hmm. In the comic, it's a different storyline. It is not the one you know that eventually becomes Batgirl, and I believe she is now her code name is Orphan in the comics. Right. This one, she is kind of left to her own devices, is a pickpocket, really lost without a family. And even though she has one, she's just constant fighting and she's constantly bounced around. She does steal a diamond of value, though, that has the key to unlock the fortune of the Bertinelli family. Uh, Black Mask wants it. And as she steals it, she swallows said diamond. Mm-hmm, because that's the right thing to do. Well, you know, as a, as a young kid that is panicked and knows that she is, you know, in has something very valuable and doesn't know how, how to hide it. Yeah. It's a panic move. Yeah, that's true. But now that just made her the most wanted person in all of Gotham and drawing the interest of everybody that is involved. Mm-hmm. So due to that said fact, Black Mask sends everybody he can including one Harley Quinn to go after her because Harley now that she no longer has the Joker's protection is a wanted person by like everyone in the city. Yes. And you start seeing word goes around quick. I don't know who made the Facebook post, but everybody knows and everybody's coming after her. Yeah. And there is some cool action sequences that go entail with this. And then you see that Harley kind of lures Cass to join her Mm -hmm. after Definitely a lot of stuff going on. A crazy scene in the Gotham City Police Department. Yeah. Which, dare I say, you know that Harley Quinn in this version is definitely NSFW because once she gets some magical powder, (laughs) everything goes crazy. Now, this is perfectly played to the comic. Yeah. So you're trying to take someone that maybe sees them on a... uh, younger cartoon version mm-hmm. definitely not for them yeah With, yeah don't bring the kids don't bring the kids to this don't bring the teenagers because like i say after harley basically goes into the gotham city police department to go spring cast to bring her to black mask 
This now draws the attention of everybody and anybody to her. And they try escaping, but it does not happen that way. That nope. She is eventually tracked down. And you see that now Helena Bertinelli is coming back into play, that she is now getting brought in. You find out quickly about her history, yep. too, which I would say they, they do follow the comics to a degree, but they also twisted the, the Huntress a little bit. Sure. I understand that it's a movie, and they're trying to make her seem more... I don't want to say relatable. Well, because it was going to relate to that. Right. But if you read the comics, I mean, Helena is not exactly joking about right. anything. I mean, maybe they just kind of added some stuff in or changed some stuff in just for the purpose of the film and, and making it easier for audiences. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe. And, and that's the one thing you kind of just you toy around with, with this is bringing her in there. And then she has her own reason to go for the diamond. And once everybody is betraying everybody to get a hold of Cass Kane, this is where everybody starts slowly coming together. I mean, you see that Renee Montoya, even though she's a great detective, is never getting her own shine for it. Mm-hmm. And she's always in the shadow, so she's trying to piece it together. You see Bertinelli is trying to you know, avenge her family name and take care of everybody that's involved. Harley is just doing Harley things, and when she realizes she's been sold out because they blow up the apartment yeah, and how crazy that gets you see the team is slowly starting to come together. And then somebody is helping out Renee Montoya, and it turns out to be Dinah Lance. So everybody has a different motive going on. So like I say, it's not the same as the comics. And I would have been actually more happy if they just called this Harley Quinn and Friends instead of saying yeah. Birds of Prey. Yeah. Because I feel it's kind of a letdown to the team and, and what the great story is involving that team. Yeah, are. I mean, it really is Harley Quinn and Friends because, yeah, the Birds of Prey are in it, but they really don't get together all together in a room until, like, the last 20, 30 minutes of the film. Right. That's where I think the is my biggest fault with the movie. And I know it's minor, but it's because sure, so, uh, sure. It's like you, you know, you go into an, into an Avengers movie. You're expecting the Avengers to team up and fight during the film. Not the last thirty minutes, but like they're all going to be there and fight. Justice League, same thing. You call a movie Justice League, you're all going to expect them to be there fighting. You know, before the end of the film. Yeah. You call a movie Birds of Prey, you're expecting the Birds of Prey to kind of be a feature thing throughout the film, not just kind of oh hey we're all in the same city just in different points in different times. Yeah, and I know they dance around with it and they reset a lot too because I mean Harley breaks the fourth wall and they reset the whole Gotham City PD uh, fight scene again too. <laughs> yeah. Which I mean it works. It works for Harley. It's Har- It's Harley. Yeah. So knowing this is like you know you're she's very scatterbrained. Exactly. And like I said, I thought they wrote her. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I can't stress that enough. They wrote her absolutely perfect because as she's trying to make double deals after she's been sold out, she winds up making the agreement that she's going to turn over Cascane to Black Mask at the amusement park. That had to be, and I don't think they stressed it enough that that was an old Joker hideout because she knew way too much about that park. Uh, they didn't say they kind of alluded to it, but no, it, it was because when she go when they get ready to go fight Black Mask and his crew, they're ready to get like armed to the teeth. They're almost ready to have like that that scene in the Matrix where Morpheus goes, "We need guns, lots of guns." Like with all the guns, she opens like the hidden compartment thing, and and there's just dust from where they were sitting, and he's taking them, and she kind of like she doesn't say his name, but he goes, she essentially goes, "Oh, he took them all." Like, yeah. we know who the he is in this scenario. It's not Bane. 
Yeah, exactly. Which I, I, I applaud that they didn't make this about the Joker. Yeah. I really do. They alluded to him, but they didn't name drop him every five seconds. No, because like I said, they kind of jumped around a lot, which I mean, I, I didn't really have an issue with because I mean, it's Harley and it's, mm-hmm. it's her story. Version. There were times where it was kind of hard to keep up just, you know, with as much as it was jumping along. But I think once everything got set and all the backstories got told and all the, you know, because the confusing thing for me at one point earlier in the film was when, you know, they were, they were looking for the kid and she just walked into the police station. Yeah. And I was just like, wait, why is she doing this? And then eventually they filled it. I'm like, OK, that makes sense. Yeah. Once they kind of dance around, I mean, like I say, Cass Kane's story is I don't want to say generic, but it just it didn't really gravitate like. I mean, it, it's generic. It It's very generic. You know, you got an orphan kid who's probably not on her first foster home. Where they're, you know, the first, you, you, the only glimpse of her foster home you get is her walking up the stairs to the apartment where she meets Dinah, and uh, for the first time, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. and you know, you've got the the mother and the father, the man and the woman in the house are absolutely screaming at each other at the top of their lungs, you know. So you got a kid who's probably not on their first foster house that wants to run it's a very generic story that's been done before right which i i get for the film because obviously with harley quinn involved you know it's going to get twisted one way or another in this. Mm-hmm. so Cass, the only thing i like i say just knowing the comic and knowing the character i was like okay interesting choice should have called him just a, a regular character instead of trying to say she's going to wind up being batgirl down mm-hmm. the road and and if you like i say if you know the story coming out of no man's land you understand what I'm meaning with it, with yeah. this. So not to say I, I hold I hold anything against the actor in this movie. I think she did a great job. Yeah. I just think that for the storyline, it's like okay, maybe she called somebody else just so you don't tie so much into it. But, mm-hmm. but I digress because at this point, everybody has a reason. They're now at the amusement park. Everybody has kind of figured out what's going on, and you have the final moment with Zaz confronting and leading the charge for Sionis there with his. His army, which he finally dons the mask from the comics, which I yep. thought was a cool, cool touch. And like I said, Hugh McGregor is hamming it up during this entire film. Mm-hmm. Like I say, I, I don't want to say he was like Wentworth Miller in uh, Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah, oh yeah. But he definitely put a good spin on Black Mask, which, yeah. which I liked. And then we get the crazy fight scenes going on, and we see obviously the last stand, Azaz, who is taken yep. out by Huntress, who we now figure out her whole battle plan was taking out everybody that she drew. That killed her family, and Zaz was one of the people. And you see the backstory involved, which makes sense for her. Mm-hmm. Okay, I get it. And then you just get some crazy fight scenes going on. Well, and you brought up the fight scenes and just how good they were. I, I did some digging. You got to give credit to the gentleman who worked on it. Uh, Jonathan Usibo was the stunt coordinator for this film. Some of his credits include being the fight coordinator on uh, the Avengers, The Bourne Legacy. That's the Jeremy Renner film. Uh, the Wolverine movie. Uh, all three John Wick movies uh, he was the fight coordinator for. He was also the fight coordinator for Doctor Strange. Uh, he was a fight coordinator for The Fate of the Furious, was the stunt coordinator for Deadpool 2, and the stunt coordinator for Black Panther. Uh, the other gentleman is uh, was the stunt coordinator is a gentleman by the name of John Valera. Uh, also worked, did some utility stunts and motion capture on Deadpool 2, was the fight choreographer, motion capture on Black Panther, did some work on Thor Ragnarok, Atomic Blonde, Triple uh, X, Return of Xander Cage, just to name a few. So they definitely got some like AAA great fight scene coordinators. Oh, absolutely. And you can just tell. I mean, going into this, it wasn't just a normal fight. It wasn't over the top like no. like I would say John Wick is. Yeah. I'm just bringing that up because John Wick is just. John Wick or even maybe the uh, Expendables movies. Yeah. The, yeah. Any of those movies, just suspend your belief in reality because they don't exist. Yeah. 
This one had a good balance, especially for a comic, and just really showcasing what everybody could do. The filming, the way it was shot was also brilliant. Oh, yeah. No, the, the cinematography for this I thought was great, especially going around in the amusement park and just yeah. kind of seeing the interactions. And they're on, their, on the ride or whatever it was that was just kind of spinning in place, and it's almost like they just kind of parked the camera on there, spun in place, and let everybody work around them. Mm-hmm. And just to see how I mean, it all ends up with uh, Black Mask getting Cascane, shooting Montoya, who donned a Harley Quinn. Uh, darned, darned the Har- Harley Quinn outfit. It yes. was the original outfit. It was the original, which I, th- I thought was very yeah, cool. Yeah, that was a good touch. It was a good throwback to the character because she has evolved so much. Google Harley Quinn and s- switch to images. That outfit she wears is going to be probably like the most one you see in that, those search results. Yeah, absolutely. Just to see, like I say, over the years from the Batman animated series where she was the Jester costume mm-hmm. to what you've seen over the years. Obviously, if you played Injustice, if you played any other Batman video game, yep. there's a lot of very unique costumes. To say the least. To say the least. Uh, but to see how it, it all portrayed on here, I thought was it, yeah. it worked out fine. And just to see how they did a nice throwback as using it as body armor to save... Uh, Renee, who obviously getting thrown out the window earlier by Harley, and that was the one thing I liked though is they put they made it, they made it body armor, which was something they never said in the show or was nothing they ever did in the show. But you know what? It makes sense. No, it made perfect sense, and it's something that was just like a little touch that he needed yeah. to do, which I, which I thought was really good, and it yeah. made sense because once it builds up to the final confrontation, that. Dinah winds up using her powers for the first time mm-hmm. and doing the canary scream, which I thought was brilliant. Yeah. Just how they did it. It was a good tease. It was a good tease because they didn't force it down your throat. They, okay, she's got powers. And she was known as being one of the very well fighters that she, she could definitely take care of herself. Mm-hmm. That you didn't need to rely on your powers. And I thought it came off really well. But as everybody's escaping uh, Black Mask with Cass, you do see Helena do a whip roller derby style which oh I, yeah which i gotta ask nat the ripper about this uh, next time i talk to her uh if this was fitting to the roller derby that we've uh we've seen because they did a nice whip to, yeah to give a little shot to harley quinn to get over to catch black mask's car mm-hmm. and then they get into the fog after they they crash the car and everybody kind of goes into the distance and harley misses using the the correct bullet yep and obviously, as much as it seems like Harley is screwed up, which I liked that they didn't have her save the day per se. Mm-hmm. It was Cass who wound up taking a grenade out of the weapons chest that they had. Yep. And put it in, into Roman's jacket. So I got your ring, huh? Yeah. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. I really did. And there is no way they're bringing Black Mask back. No, you saw body parts. Yeah. They're, they're, this isn't a case of, oh, there was an explosion, but you didn't see anything. No, like, you don't even got to slow it down. No. Like, they made a very deliberate choice in post-production with the special effects to show body parts getting spewed into a million different directions. Oh, it was brilliant. I was like, okay. Obviously, with an R rating, yeah. you expect something like this, yeah. but I did not really think they were going to go into full detail as they did. No, they did. But, hey, I'm not mad about it. Uh, obviously, you know that's a one and done for him. Yep. And Unfortunately, because Ewan McGregor was so good. Yeah, he was. And like I said, unless they do some weird time travel thing. Yeah, because comics. Comics. It, it could happen. Flash and Flashpoint. Oh, I know that's coming. I'm dealing with it. You see, though, as everything is tied up at the end of the movie, the diamond is sold. The money is now split between everybody, per se. There's a portion that goes to Dinah and Helena, who now are teaming up with Montoya, to be the official Birds of Prey team. They need some better costumes, though. I'll say that. Yeah. So 
it's really interesting about what they're going to do there. And I got some thoughts, and I'll wrap it up with that after I get done talking about the rest of the movie. Because as you see, Harley takes off with Cass, and they ride off into the sunset to go do whatever they're going to do if there's going to be a sequel. Which I, I you would think maybe. Well, that becomes the question, because then after that, I mean, that's how the movie kind of wraps up. So I have some thoughts about where I think this is going. Mm-hmm. Okay, one, I think the team that is left over from Birds of Prey, I think could be spun off into their own HBO Max or DC Universe show. I could see that. I fully see that happening. I could see that. And you know what? I'd be fully on board with that. Because I thought as much as they were featured in the movie, they weren't featured enough. No, they definitely weren't. But if you set them up to be the team at the end, I think you can tell some more stories with that. Yeah. And I'm perfectly fine with it if they want to introduce Barbara Gordon, which I think is very necessary. Yeah. If you're going to do Birds of Prey, you need to put Barbara Gordon on the team. Yeah, just do it the four of them and call it a day. Because there's definitely a lot enough villains in the Bat universe that aren't just Batman's, but or you know, in that that inhabit Gotham. Yeah, that don't necessarily need to be in a feature film that you could do stuff with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we see it with Batwoman right now. Yeah, that, that you can start borrowing different villains and bring them in. You've seen it done with mixed results on Arrow. Yeah, like bringing Ra's al Ghul on there, not the best look. No, but bring in Firefly and, yeah. and some of the other ones. Yeah, so okay. bring in like bring in like a Mad Hatter. Yeah, you could do something like that. You could definitely Mad Hatter would be great. You could definitely run with that, or even bring back Ricardo Diaz. What about Man? Arrow. What about Man Bat? Man Bat would be another one. Man Bat would be so good. I mean, there's so many ways. I'm, I'm, I realize I'm biased towards any villain from the animated series, but you know, no, but you could definitely do it though, and especially with HBO Max having some freedom to do it. There's enough source material that you could really run with. Yeah. A Birds of Prey show. And I would not mind seeing a real one with this team happen. It's like, heck, heck, even bringing some of the comic writers to, to come up with something. Oh, Gail Simone writing again. Pfft, I'm there all day. All day. So that is an option I think could happen. As for a sequel to this movie, I think that it definitely should warrant one. Mm-hmm. I know that the box office reviews have left you know, a lot of questions, no pun intended, about the future of this franchise. That $33 million debut was not the $100 million gangbuster opening. Right. So I guess what I would ask you, Pad, what do you think will it take for a sequel to happen? Well, as we sit here recording, uh, Birds of the Birds of Prey film does currently have a 79% uh, score on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, that is out of 319 total uh, reviews from critics. And out of 8,083 verified ratings, it has an audience score of 80%. So I would say this. Uh, you know, the fans seem to love it. You know, the critics seem to love it. Despite what the box office might say, and I realize that in terms of making a sequel to the film, the benchmark, the bottom line is, did it make its money back? I would say this, if it may, even if it makes just over the money back, do another one, but just maybe change a few things with how it was marketed and how it's presented and all this. It definitely needs a sequel. I would say this. It was, it was fun enough, and I would be okay with seeing a sequel. I fully agree. I think they should do a lot of changes for the marketing. I think the pro- the production of the marketing... I think really hurt. I think it would have been done a little bit better if if you titled it Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey. Yeah, if you did something and featured Harley Quinn at the beginning. Right, because it's like you said at the beginning. Not a lot of people know who the Birds of Prey are. A lot of people know who Harley Quinn is, 
But, you know, if your ultimate goal is to either set up a film franchise or set up a, you know, television franchise with the Birds of Prey on HBO Max or DC Universe, you can still title it Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey and do that. Yeah, you definitely can. I don't, I think that I'd like to see Harley roll on to her own solo film. Sure, you can have Cass Kane come back for it. I personally would like to see a sequel have Poison Ivy. Yeah. And then whatever you want to do for it, yeah. uh, I'm completely cool That'd with That'd be great. But I think that for a sequel to happen, a couple things need to definitely go in favor of the franchise. Okay. One, they need a huge second week box office. Mm-hmm. Not saying it needs fifty million. Sure. But I would say if they pulled in another thirty, mm-hmm. give take. I'll say twenty five thirty. I think that's a good sign that word of mouth has spread because mm-hmm. I know for just talking with the ODPH Society. A lot of people did not even know this movie was coming out until we talked about it. Right. Which is not a good sign. No. And obviously, there's a disconnect somewhere. I, I think also the rating might have hurt them a little bit with our rating. Like, was it necessary for what they showed in the film? Yes. But did it ultimately hurt box office sales? I think maybe a little bit. You know, given that. The target audience might be, you know, yes, folks like you and I, but it's also folks who are a little younger than us. And I have a hard time imagining that some folks, you know, some kids or teenagers who want to go see the film are going to have a hard time convincing their parents to take them to see an R-rated film. Uh, You know, my example I can give was when Saving Private Ryan was out in theaters. Mm -hmm. You know, I heard it was a great film. I had a bunch of friends at school say they wanted to say they saw it and said how great it was and I wanted to go see it. So I went to my parents, hey, can I go see Saving Private Ryan? Can you take me to see Saving Private Ryan? You know, nothing wrong with the film. You know, it's not, you know, it's not like it's, you know, Saw 19 or whatever it is that it's going to like give me nightmares, but just it's an R-rated film. And they're like, you know what? We got to go see this before we decide if you can see this or not. See, I'm split on that. I do see that point. And I do think that there is some legs behind that. I guess where my argument becomes is how did Deadpool do so well? Yeah. And this one didn't, if it's the same thing, an R-rated superhero film. Yeah. I, that's your only argument that you can make about it. I mean, the only thing I can think of is, well, they marketed that perfectly in that the title of the character was right in the title of the film, where you didn't go nine months titling it something else and burying the heart, the Deadpool name. Yeah. Whereas with this, it, the the Harley Quinn name was in there, but it was buried. Yeah. That- and, and anytime you saw an article about, hey, there's a new trailer coming out, it wasn't, there's a new trailer coming out for the Harley Quinn movie. It was, hey, there's a new trailer coming out for Birds of Prey. Casual folks who don't really know a lot about comics or know a lot about what's going on aren't going to click on that and aren't going to see that and aren't going to know. If you put Harley Quinn, like we said, in the front of the title, a lot of more people would have known. I fully agree. And that's where I think they, they were hurt by this. I think the R rating for this movie is not the death knell that a lot of people are selling in. I do understand the point though. And I guess I would just kind of flip it and say, you have to benchmark it against Deadpool. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously different character, different universe, different ball of wax. It is. It's apples and oranges, but it's still produce. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by this is you still had arguably one of your most popular heroes character. I'll just say characters because I I hate saying Harley is a hero. Yeah. One of your most popular characters that is in an R-rated film that stays very true to the source material. Mm -hmm. So your comic fan base knows about it and is going to go. How are they getting turned away at the box office? And I think, though, you you touched upon the right nerve. To bury the name in the title to the very end 
and try selling it as a different movie than it turned out to be, I think is a tough sell. Mm-hmm. And I think that that might have disenfranchised some people. And I think for another group that they had no idea what this was about. And I think that definitely hurt them. I think that when they decide to do a sequel, and like I say, I really hope they do, and I can't stress enough to go out this weekend and see the movie if you have yeah. it. It's a fun movie, and it definitely plays into the characters. So if you like what you've seen in the comics, and you like what you've seen in the video games, per se... I'll say, if you know who Harley Quinn is, and you and you enjoy Harley Quinn, you know you like seeing her, you know what you're going to get with this. Yeah, and that's what you should go into seeing. You're not going to see too much of the Birds of Prey, and if you're a Birds of Prey fan, you're going to be slightly disappointed, in mm-hmm. my opinion, because yeah. it's not the same dynamic. It just isn't. I think where they can definitely improve on is marketing it better, making Harley Quinn the focus, as she should be. Mm-hmm. Don't even say the birds of prey. Just have them in the movie and just don't even talk about it. It's like Deadpool was talking about yeah. the X-Men. Yeah. They were in there, but was it Deadpool and the X-Men? No. Yeah. I think that they need to focus on that. If they wanted to try re-releasing this as a PG-13 version, mm-hmm. test the water and see. Yeah. I mean, Deadpool did do it. Yeah. Mixed results. Yeah. I mean, go- going into this weekend, the only thing it's really going up against, and these are two entirely different classes of who's going to see these films, is the Sonic the Hedgehog movie and then the Blumhouse Fantasy Island movie, which, again, two very vastly different target audiences for those films compared to Birds of Prey. Oh, 1,000%. So if they're going to make a chance, this is the time to do it. And I can't stress enough to get on your social medias if you love this movie and say, go see this. It's not a plea to save a franchise because yeah. Robbie's signed for a few films. As far as I know, is she or she is involved in the James Gunn film? Uh, that I don't know. All right. That one I might know. There's so many people. That one I that don't. Up. That Just going off of the teaser poster whatever you want to call it that's got all the names on it uh i don't think she's on that po- that poster so if if she is going to be in it it's going to be a cameo yeah i'm, I'm probably blanking on that because there's so many people involved in that movie that i'm just like oh according no according to imdb because i'm just clicking on right now that margot robbie's face is right there front and center oh okay so Yep, she is in the title credits for that so that makes sense now how long she's going to stay in there i would imagine she'll be a franchise person for it but it would make a lot of sense that she's not going anywhere, so you can definitely build off the franchise yeah. and see where this movie goes. Because when Suicide Squad comes out in 2021, that is going to reestablish the character if we don't hear anything more on the big screen from her. Mm-hmm. But I can't stress enough that you should go to, if you're a fan of the character, go see it. If you think that it's a fun movie, which you should, it's definitely going to be worth your while. And just definitely get on your social medias and, let, and try getting some buzz going for it. Because I know people are trying to compare this to the MCU, and you can't do that. No. The MCU is a different ballgame. Mm-hmm. But for DC, I don't think this is a, a big loss, per se. No. Because I think going in, knowing the popularity of the character, yeah, you can say it didn't crack $100 million, It's a failure. But it's still a critic and, and audience success. Yeah. Like, the, the critics and fans still love it. This isn't... You know, if, if it were the case of, okay, it bombed at the box office, critics and fans hate it, I'd be like, all right, you might have one a real. You tried once with Harley Quinn and Suicide Squad, that didn't work. You tried again with Harley Quinn in her own film, and that didn't work. You might want to, you know, go back to the drawing board on this one. Right. But you can definitely see where it worked. And this was probably, like I keep stressing, the most authentic Harley Quinn we have seen to the comics that has appeared on screen. That the first Suicide Squad movie, yeah, so so it was all right. So it, it was all right. It's a Saturday afternoon movie. Yeah, the sequel now coming with James Gunn at the helm. That's going to be a lot better. Yeah. Oh, a lot better. Yeah. 
So going from that, I can't stress enough, it's a fun movie. If you're a comic book fan, you will enjoy it. If you're a Birds of Prey fan, though, you're going to be disappointed and think a lot got left on the table. I know I was, but I'm going in with this thinking they can definitely spin it off if they really want to pursue a show, a new show of Birds of Prey. Definitely not the one that was on CW. <laughs> no. No, that one's long dead and gone. We don't talk about that one. No, we don't, unless we want to talk about Crisis. Well, then we sure, it's it true. But other than that, Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey, go see. You have a good recommendation from the panel, but hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts about the movie? If you didn't go see it, why? I'm just curious, and we should have that conversation. If you did, what did you love about it? Let's talk. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. These days, comic book stories are more mainstream than ever. Unfortunately, not everybody has the means to be able to consume all of this greatness well. If you were to join me, Brian Wayne, on the Cheers to Comics podcast, I will help guide you through the rabbit hole that is comic books. Whether you're a brand new reader that just walked out of the latest blockbuster summer Marvel movie event and just have to know the source material, or you're an old dog and just want to get a different perspective from another reader, this is the podcast for you. And when I say comic book podcast, this is a comic book podcast. No filler material. I save all of the the movie talk and all of the stuff outside of the illustrated written world of comic books for all of the other podcasts out there. This is for comic book junkies and aspiring comic book junkies only. So tune in with me, Brian Wayne, three times a week. We'll be going over dozens and dozens of books in an overviewed fashion, not necessarily a review manner. But beyond that, I hype you up every week on the books coming out on the the next week coming, as well as a bonus episode. And that could be anything from me dedicating an entire episode to uh, a single story arc, or potentially even a kick-ass interview with a badass comic book creator. So if any or all of that tickles your little fancies, join me, Brian Wayne, and the rest of Slurred Nation on the Cheers to Comic Podcast as I kick back drinks and drop all types of comic book knowledge. Cheers. This is Rich, the host of the Three Fat Nerds podcast and co-host of the Horror Zone 607 podcast. And you are listening to our hashtag 607 podcast brothers, the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Now kick it back over to Ken Moneybags and the crew. Coming back for segment number two on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and we got to take a trip to the Arrowverse. Mm-hmm. Can we call it the Arrowverse? DC DC Prime. Okay, DC Prime it is. So that's the official name of it. So we got to give a quick recap of what's going on in DC Prime with some of our shows. Starting off with The Flash. Now, we are going to be talking spoilers. You have been forewarned. So in three, two, one. Pad, what did you think of this episode? Meh. I mean, it, it felt like Feller, you know, spinning tires a little bit, running in place. Didn't feel entirely necessary. I mean, I get it was kind of a Valentine's episode because Valentine's Day is taking place this week. But it didn't really, outside of the little, and I'm sure we'll get to it, the little, you know, blink and you miss it moment at the end of the episode, didn't really feel necessary. I will agree. This was a letdown for me. I was not 
even dig in this episode at all. But also, felt, it was also confusing for me in certain aspects because you were bringing in two characters that we hadn't seen for a while, and it felt just out of the blue and like mid-story. And I was like, "Wait, what the hell is going on right now?" Yeah, because after the cliffhanger of last week, where Iris went into the mirror and was pulled in, we were expecting, okay, something big was going to happen. Like mm-hmm. Maybe, just maybe, we'll get something and it'll make sense. But uh, hold that thought. No. That Iris reappears, and we do see another returning face post-crisis, and that is one Amulet Black, played mm-hmm. by the one only Katie Sackhoff. Yep. So seeing her return, always good. Yeah. Uh, albeit, though, like I say, Amulet is not one of my favorite characters. No, and that was one of the things that was confusing, was like she just came out of nowhere and was just in the middle of a plot, and I was just like, wait, what the hell is going on here? Right, which... Why, I, why do we care about this? Yeah, I mean, I really don't, and I'm like, okay, well, let's kind of roll with it. And you see, it's just pretty much a simple episode mm-hmm. of Amulet's going for a, a, a device, and Ivo Labs reappears, which I thought was kind of interesting, because if you know about Red Tornado, you know about Professor Ivo and all mm-hmm. that from the DC lore. Haven't really touched upon it, so I'm, I'm hoping maybe we'll get a return possibly Could in be. the DC Prime universe. But no, unfortunately, we get a familiar face, I guess... And that is the return of Amulet's boyfriend, Goldface. On again, off again, boyfriend. Yeah, which, I mean, I understand it was supposed to be the back and forth. And yeah. You're, and you're seeing the new persona from yeah. Iris involved in this. I mean, Cadence Patton definitely was flipping it into a new persona. And you could definitely tell the difference of how Iris has always been on the show mm-hmm. to how she is now. And, you know, seeing the... The back and forth going her with her and Grant Gustin was really yeah. uh, it was really interesting to see because Barry was completely oblivious to what's going on with this and I yep. get that and like I say to balance off with Katie Sackhoff and Damien Portier playing you know their interest in going it was a good episode in that aspect but it was kind of like I I'm not really connecting with this this mm-hmm. is just nothing for me I was expecting a lot more diving into maybe what's going on with Iris and they just kind of go back and forth. And you see that Joe is trying to interfere with Barry or intervene with Barry rather and kind of say, Iris isn't the same, but Iris, you have to let her trust herself, which I'm really surprised at Mm -hmm. that they're really pushing for Iris not to be a vigilante, but she's taken a lot more risks lately Mm -hmm. than uh, we've seen in the past. Not saying that she needs to play a damsel in distress by any stretch of the imagination, but just seems like what she's been doing lately since she's now the head reporter for the... Uh, newspaper now. Yep. Uh, it's kind of an interesting take on it. But, yeah. But I'm interested to see where that goes. At least that had my interest. The other storyline going on with Amulet and Goldface, I just did not care about. No, neither did I. mean, neither did I. Even I got, I get what they were trying to do with the back and forth and the on again, off again, like, but it just not feeling it. Like, uh, if it was a recurring villain with another recurring villain, sure, I'd get that. You know, we see them. It, it was somebody we'd seen on a weekly basis. I'd get that. But these are people that are here for a cup of tea and then are gone for weeks, if not months. Right. And to see how Iris teams up with Amulet after having a fight with Barry. Yeah, that was what threw me up, which I didn't pick up on the whole. the de- And I completely forgotten about the sucked in the mirror thing and all this because time and life. You know, and I was just like, wait, why that? That that surprised me. I was like, wait, why the hell is she teaming up with, with her? And then I'm like, oh, wait, that's why. Well, it's just like, okay, something has definitely changed with Iris. Mm-hmm. That it, and it just kind of seemed like too easy for Amulet to be like, oh, well, why didn't you just say you had a fight with the Flash? Come with me. It was like, mm-hmm. wait, what? Yeah. Like, it was just too telegraphed. Yeah. And I'm sitting there just bored. I'll be honest. I was just, like, not even digging this at all. 
And I mean, obviously it was a, a quick ploy that Amulet and Goldface were reconciled because Barry kind of convinced them to. And mm-hmm. I mean, there's the whole cheesy music thing, which yet again, the season of the flash yeah, music and cheesy music at the most inopportune times. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, Pat, what's your take on that? Uh, not really. It was the moment when the music started playing. I was like, oh, okay, that's funny. But then it just kind of dragged on. Like, it was good for the little spot and the little bit. And, you know, to go, oh, okay, that's funny. I got that. But just you let it play on for a little too long. Yeah, you just let it play on. And it was just kind of just going in circles with this. And just didn't really do anything. I mean, you only had the payoff at the end yeah. where you find out that Iris is trapped at mm-hmm. McCall Tech behind the mirror and somebody is impersonating her. Yep. So that was the only real takeaway from this episode. Well, that and the blink and you miss it from Nash Wells. Break it down. Uh, well, so there's a moment where I, where the hell was he? Was he in, was he in Jitters? No, he was in Jitters. He was in Jitters and he, blink and you miss it. He saw a, a version of Wells, which Wells, we are not sure because uh, they're all supposed to be gone. I know some people are saying it was Earth 2, uh, Wells. I wanted to say just based off of the way, you know, he didn't seem so happy-go-lucky like that version did. He seemed definitely more like brooding, like maybe a reverse Flash, uh, Wells. Yeah, which I would love to see. That, I, that, that's what I took it to be, but it was a blink and you miss it. That was kind of me like the only redeeming factor of the episode was I was sitting there and I saw him like, wait, what the hell? Yeah, it was just, a okay, I, I don't know where we're going with this, but... This has my attention. Because they've said several times there are no more wells, that you are the only one. Yes. They've made a very deliberate point of saying that in every episode since Flash has come back from Crisis. And you almost wonder if it's like some post-traumatic syndrome thing with Crisis. Could be. Because especially after effects. Well, you got to remember because when he was pariah. Yeah. Just the mental toll that took. Yeah. That would they flip it that he's seeing different versions of himself and dare I say, was he all merged into one? I mean, maybe we don't know. So, I mean, that's the only thing I can kind of guess at. Either way, if we get season one Harrison Wells, oh, bring it on. Yes, please. Sorely needed. Yes, please. In my opinion. So, with this episode, nothing super crazy, nothing really right home about. I, I admit, I was not impressed by it it's at all. It's honestly one that if you haven't seen it, you can pretty much skip yeah. and, and be fine with. Yeah, which I am perfectly fine doing. It just didn't do anything for me. And following right after was Legends and Legends being Legends, mm-hmm. doing the whole homage to Carrie. Well, Carrie, an homage to horror films. Yeah, which I gotta say, I lo- you know I'm not a horror movie fan, but I did appreciate naming, you know, the kid they were going after. What was it? Uh, Freddie Myers, mm-hmm. Freddie Krueger, Michael, Michael Myers. Myers. I appreciated the hell out of that. That was great. No, the one thing that Legends always has is you know they're going to be cheesy. Mm-hmm. You know this. And we have said this many times on the show. They're American Doctor Who. It's very smartly written. Yeah. And definitely hamming up to whatever time period they're in. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one thing you can tell the actors on the show love doing it. Mm-hmm. And obviously, it was a cool throwback, obviously, with the horror movie genre yeah. and tying so much together. So that was just a fun episode. Nothing really right home about. I want to say, like, all the shows this week played a pretty safe. Like, yeah. no major, like, earth-shattering events. Not that you need one each week, but this all just kind of seemed, okay, we're just going to have a nice, happy-go-lucky episode. I, say, I did appreciate Nick Zano in this episode, though, as Nate, you know, where they first, get, when they finally got back to what was in 1989, and he was essentially like, listen, the only thing that looking f- there's nothing flyer than how I look right now. Yeah. I was just like, okay. Yeah, so overall, nothing really super crazy going on DC, you know, 
or I'm sorry, Earth Prime or DC Prime. I DC need to, Prime. Yeah, I, I need to drill that in because I always want to say Arrowverse, but mm-hmm. it's not an Arrowverse yet. There currently is no Arrow show. Yep. Have Oops. not heard any official confirmation yet. Say so end of the episode though, Constantine goes into something, confronts something. So that nothing good can come from that. No, Constantine is really carrying that show right now. Mm-hmm. And where they're going to go with him and his story, I don't know. Like, yeah, like they're 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 going they're, they're using him a lot more than I thought they would. Yeah, which, which I'm happy to see. Oh yeah, if you can, given take, how god awful the TV show that you know Matt Ryan was on was. Yeah, that was god awful. And I'm just hoping they spin him off into his own HBO Max. Yeah. Do do like a Justice League Dark on HBO Max? Yeah, I mean, well, that has been heavily talked about. So I'm hoping, and with uh, what the Bad Robot deal, mm-hmm. that maybe, just maybe, we'll get something right with that. I don't know, but we're gonna have to see because, like I said, this week I, you gotta say nothing really great to write home about. I, it, if, if it was any, because what was it? Batwoman was off this week because of the Oscars. Yep, same thing with Supergirl. Same thing with Supergirl. Um, if you know, Flash skippable. I would watch Legends if for nothing else than it's it's a fun episode that like very much pays homage to like you said Carrie and some of the classic horror movies. Yeah, definitely so. I it's mean, a fun watch. It's a fun, it's it's always a fun watch. Like I say, just didn't really do anything to move the needle, so yeah, to speak. Yeah. And, and like I say, for these kind of episodes, don't really keep my attention too much. Mm-hmm. But they're, but they're fun. Yeah. Like I say, the Flash one. I just I'm sorry. I'm I'm not sold on. It. I was just like, oh god. Like just, I started working on podcast stuff. I was, I yeah. got, I'm not gonna lie during that whole thing, but let us know what you think though. Hit us up on that hashtag. Hashtag ODPH. What was your thoughts on the DC Prime Universe this week? Did you like the shows? Did you not like the shows? Did you skip them for something? We definitely want to have that conversation. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Cody, and I'm Christian, and we're nerds with friends. Not just two nerds who have some friends. No. We're your hosts for the podcast, Nerds with Friends. We cover any topic that people can nerd out over, from TV, movies, and comics, to conventions, tabletop RPGs, and much more. Nerds with Friends comes out every Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. And of course, on our website, nerdswithfriendspodcast.com. Join us every week as we confess our nerdy confessions and talk about the latest in nerdy news. And remember, you're not alone. You're with friends. This is Nerds with Friends. Thank you for listening. Now back to the show. Hi, this is Tyler from Second Suitor, and you're listening to the ODPH Podcast. I want you to get it. I want you to understand. I'm doing the best I can, but not as good as I want to be. I just want to get it. I just want to comprehend that I have to make amends. So coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pat, what you got for those one-shots? Yeah, some interesting E3 news. Uh, Jeff Keeley, uh, of course, the famed uh, internet celebrity, I guess you could say, uh, worked on the Game Trailers TV website. It was also on G4TV.com. You know, worked, he hosts the uh, Video Game Awards every year. Has announced that he is skipping uh, the E3 Expo uh, this year. Really? Yeah. So, of course, this is a big video game conference that takes place out in Los Angeles, California every year, uh, where if you are a video game fan, this is your Christmas. This is where, you know, if, if it's a big video game coming, it gets announced. Uh, notably, uh, side note, uh, PlayStation is skipping again this year. So, not sure what that says about the future of PlayStation at the E3, but just interesting to, to note. Uh, he said on his personal Twitter account today, quote, I have made the difficult decision to decline to participate produce e3 coliseum for the first time in 25 years 
I will not be participating in E3, close quote. Uh, you know, he's it, it, it definitely appears that like he's not making this decision lightly or it's not coming easily because he went on to say, quote, I've debated what to say about E3 2020. While I want to support the developers who will showcase their work, I also need to be open and honest with you, the fans, about precisely what to expect from me. I look forward to supporting the industry in other ways at, and at other events in the future, he concluded. So some, obviously this generated a lot of buzz online and a lot of folks asking for him. And one per user by the name of at Fendozer said, what fueled your decision to not participate? Uh, Jeff responded, quote, a ton of factors. I just don't really feel comfortable participating given what I know about the show as of today. Close quote. You know, so another person asked if E3 was still viable, considering, you know, both Keeley and companies such as Sony, you know, aren't really doing it this year. Uh, he said, quote, I think E3 needs to become more digital and global. It's a brand that need that means a lot to people, but it shouldn't be just be a show floor. Close quote. He replied. Uh, so in case you're not familiar, E3 Coliseum is the official show arranged by the company uh, behind behind the larger E3 event. Uh, Keeley has hosted the event, sh the show for the last three years. Uh, you know, it's much. And if I'm not mistaken, it's the one where it's the official one. If you go to Twitch, and it's like the E3 stream where like it's the it's the official one from them. And it's mm -hmm. they're, they're bringing in everybody and everybody's coming on to show this thing. So definitely interesting to see that, like, you know, he's choosing not to go given what he knows is going on behind the scenes. And I definitely agree with him that things need to change because it, it means a lot to people, you know, myself included, you know, from when I really got into video games in the early 2000s. Some of my fondest memories are sitting there at home on TV with my brother because E3 takes place in the middle of summer. So we were off of school sitting at home on G4 TV, watching with my brother, the PlayStation conference, the Sony, the, the Microsoft conference, the, the Ubisoft conference, just all these great conferences where, oh, that looks awesome. Oh, I can't wait to play that. You know, I definitely think it needs to change. You know, for the longest time, you could only get in on if you were press mm -hmm. or you worked in the industry. Like if you or I wanted to go in there as fans, we couldn't get in there. Yeah. Now they've opened it. Now they've gotten smart for the first time. God knows how many years, you know, a couple of years ago where they opened it up to fans and fans could purchase, you know, badges much like a regular convention and get in. But just something a little interesting that floated across my radar today that one of the biggest names in the video game press is saying he's not doing it this year. Yeah, there's something gotta be. Yeah, really. Yeah, and and like I said, going on between that and then Sony skipping it again this year because last year it was kind of like, oh, they're they're doing it to get ready to for their uh, PlayStation Five. You know, they're getting ready to unveil PlayStation Five. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. PlayStation Five is coming out at the end of this year. Like, if there was a better time for them to unveil it, it is E3. You know, it's. It just, I just kind of wonder what's going on that Sony is now skipping it for two years in a row. Yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of questions that are going on there because E3 has always just been like the legendary. It's yeah. like San Diego Comic Con. Yeah. Just for all the electronics. You know, and, and Sony skipping it is never good for E3 because I think it was Xbox Phil, uh, Xbox's Phil Spencer said E3 is better when Sony is there. Yeah. And it was definitely a noticeable void last year with sony not being there yeah i mean it's just always a staple i mean it's it would be like marvel not going to san diego mm -hmm. or dc it's just when there's certain brands we'll say marvel didn't go to san diego the one year and it was weird yeah like that's why i say it's just for your brand not to be represented at the biggest event of the year mm -hmm. not saying there's trouble because i'm not yeah. saying that but it's just very perplexing yeah that your biggest, one of the biggest franchises in your industry is not there, and is mm -hmm. for your brand not to be represented. Yeah, something. So it's almost, on. it's almost like having a Detroit Auto Show, and then like a Chevy or a Ford not showing up. Yeah, something weird. It's like, like wait, what? You're, yeah. It's like you're, it's in your backyard. 
Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense about that. Yeah. So let's flip it to another show that had a lot of people there. Mm-hmm. Um, some very surprised guests yeah. crashed it. And that was the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Now, there was a lot of films that I have not seen because we usually keep it to the geek nerd mm-hmm. film genre here. Sure, I mean, sure. With the exception of the impeccable uh, Fast 9 franchise, which <laughs> hasn't won an award yet. <laughs> it's going to win. It's going to win when it goes into space. Just calling yeah, it right now. Could be. But. We have to give credit to all the winners that won. Uh, Pad, you got the list of who took home some gold? Yeah, so uh, for Best Actor in a Supporting Role, that went to Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, gotta see that film. I love Quentin Tarantino films, but I just haven't gotten around to seeing that one yet. Might have to red box it. Uh, for Best Animated Feature Film, you had Toy Story 4. I did see that one. Uh, it beat out How to Train Your Dragons 3, uh, I Lost My Body, Klaus, and Missing Link. Didn't see the other four movies, but I did see Toy Story 4, and that film was awesome very not entirely needed for the toy story franchise but it's definitely a nice epilogue to the story you knew right uh best animated short film you had hair love best original screenplay went to uh parasite which you're going to notice a lot of uh repeating winners here with parasite uh best adapted screenplay went to taika watiti for jojo rabbit so congratulations to taika uh live action short film went to the neighbor's window production design went to once upon a time in hollywood costume design went to little women Documentary feature went to uh, a film called American Factory. Documentary short went to learning to skateboard in a war zone, if you're a girl, in parentheses. Actress in a supporting role went to Laura Dern in Marriage Story. Sound editing went to Ford v. Ferrari. Sound mixing went to 1917. Uh, best cinematography went to 1917, which I, you know, I haven't seen that. I need to see that. Given how... Uh, they film that where it's all one take, one shot. There's no cutting between various locations and various characters and what's going on. It's just these are your characters. These are who you're sticking with. Yeah. Uh, very much, very well deserved for that. Uh, film editing went to Ford v. Ferrari. Best visual effects went to 1917. Uh, beating out films such as Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, The Lion King, The Irishman, and Avengers Endgame. Really? Yeah, which is very surprising because, well, Star Wars, Rise of Skywalker, a lot of visuals in that. Same can be said for Lion King. Uh, Irishman also because some of the main actors were, you know, their ages were messed with in that film. But also Avengers Endgame. And kind of want to ask you, do you feel the Avengers were snubbed in this case? Okay, so I guess I'm kind of like twofold about this. Okay. In my opinion, they did not need to be nominated for Best Actor, Best Actress, yeah. Best Picture. Yeah. I thought, if anything... Avengers Endgame should have won if they're going to win anything for uh, visual effects. Okay. I you could give it to the whole final fight scene mm-hmm. that was happening. I for me, I thought it was a great entertaining film. I I treat yeah. the MCU like that. Yeah. I guess when I'm thinking best actor performance. Mm-hmm. I thought Donnie Jr did a great job as Tony Stark. Yeah. But in comparison to you know who, the the other folks who were in, in that yeah, to the other that. folks that, that he was facing off against. Yeah, I don't think he ranks in that top five. Right. I just don't. It's not that I don't think it was a great performance, but in the comparison to everybody else that was nominated, like I don't struggle with them not winning an award. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of odd due to the success that they had mm-hmm. that I think like, okay, well, maybe they should have won something like a visual effect because memory serves me right. It's like I, I always remember the big box office winners get at least something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's, I mean, to be fair, though, Lord of the Rings didn't get anything until the final film, Return of the King. Harry Potter never got anything. Yeah. You know, just to name a few. 
you know, but like you said, you bring up Robert Downey Jr., you know, best actor in a leading role. All right, so Joaquin Phoenix won that for Joker. Uh, as he should. As I mean. he should. It, just an incredible performance top to bottom. Also in that category was Antonio Banderas from Pain and Glory. Haven't seen that one. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Again, haven't seen it. Need to. Adam Driver from Marriage Story. I've seen one scene from that movie off of Facebook because there's that one Facebook page. It's like it shows the screen. It shows the sh- the film, but then it also shows the script below it. Yeah. And it's the scene where it's a scene where he's having a fight with uh, um, Scarlett, Johansson. Scarlett Johansson. That one scene alone is incredible. And I'm like, all right, based off of that one scene alone. Yeah, you deserve to be nominated for best actor in this film. Uh, and then Jonathan Price from The Two Popes. I'm sorry. Yes, Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal of of Tony was great and all, and it was you know one of his best, if not his best, but it not in that category. I agree, and that's that's the thing. I you can't say that he outbeats anybody in in comparison to. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, he just he doesn't in for who he is up against. Because I know some people were like really petitioning he should got yeah. an Oscar. Yeah. Listen, I can understand the fandom. Yeah, and I'm all for it. But no, no, I'm sorry. No. You're not going to sell me on that one. Yeah. I mean, the thing with the Oscars is they very much, you know, and I know a lot of people want to see comic book movies get nominated more and more recognition. And I agree with that to a certain degree. They're, they've definitely pushed the envelope in some areas that, you know, need to get looked at. But the thing with the Oscars is, and especially Hollywood, is they look at the comic book movies as, okay, this is easy. You're taking something that's already been done. Or, or a couple of some things that have already been done, piecing it together and putting it on screen. It's not to the level of creating your own original story and, and putting it to screen and coming up with the idea from concept and all this, mm-hmm. you know? So did, was Downey Jr.'s portrayal great? Yeah. Did it deserve an award? No. Yeah, no, that's why I say with that. It's, it's not to say it wasn't a good performance. I can't stress that enough, but mm-hmm. in comparison, no, it's not. I'm sorry. It's like deal with it. Yeah. Uh, moving on to some other award winners, you had uh, makeup and hairstyling go to the folks that worked on the movie Bombshell. That one, I uh, I kind of give a shout out to the folks that won that award and, and gave their speech. Of course, that was the film uh, about the Fox News, Roger Ailes, uh, real life uh, situation. Uh, I got to give them credit because they uh, specifically thanked Charlize Theron, who uh, is the main actress in that film, and basically raised her up and down and almost put her in tears yeah so that was a, that was a cool acceptance speech to watch uh best international feature uh which is a name change from best foreign language film uh from the last you know however many years it's now best international feature that went to parasite from south korea uh best original score went to joker beating out the likes of little women marriage story 1917 and star wars the rise of skywalker this one i got a little mm, i'm not mad about but i'm kind of like okay yeah to beat out john williams john williams was at his absolute best it's his final star wars film he's not scoring any more of them he'll get credit for the theme song but he's not working on any more of them joker was a great movie don't get me wrong i'll admit I don't remember much of the score. I this one you could go back and forth. I understand the John Williams thing. I get that, and I yeah, it's a catch twenty two because mm-hmm. I thought the Joker score. I just remember just it added the dramatic moments to mm-hmm. the movie. Yeah, except the Gary Glitter song. Yeah, that was just yeah. That's when it got cringeworthy. Yeah, but that's what you wanted in that scene. Yeah, so I get that, but I was like, hey. But I understand that. I mean, John mm-hmm. Williams is John Williams. You know? he, he needs to win more awards. Go look at his his history of films he's worked on. And then go look at the number of Oscars he's won. Here's, yeah. here's, here, let, here, let me save you some time. It's only five. 
Yeah, that's and, crazy. And you, and you run through some of the films he's worked on. He's only won five Oscars. It's a crime. Uh, best original song went to I'm Gonna Love Me Again from Rocketman because, hey, it's Elton John. Yeah. Who's going to be Elton John at an award show? Good luck. Uh, best director went to Bong Joon-ho, uh, who directed Parasite. Now, Parasite won a lot of awards at this award show. I can't say deservedly so because, admittedly, I haven't seen the film. I don't think it even made it here to our theater locally. So I was like, oh, I might have to check out this guy's work. Don't think I've seen any of his work before. So I post from IGN like the day after uh, the Oscars. It was four other films from him you needed to see. Uh, he directed, apparently, the Chris Evans uh, Snowpiercer film, which I'm like, okay, I've actually seen his work. It's amazing. So I'm sure Parasite, same thing. Uh, best actor in the leading role went to Joaquin Phoenix, like we said. Yeah. Most, if I, I couldn't remember, is this the biggest major win for a comic book movie to date? I, I was say I realized Black Panther got nominated for Best Picture a couple of years ago, but it didn't win anything. Heath Ledger won posthumously, right? Yeah, he was, he was posthumously. So I would have to say yes, and I I, I would say it, I struggle with calling this a comic book movie at times. Yeah, because it really just loosely connected to the mm-hmm. Batman universe. Yeah, I, it's like I was talking to Common Man uh, Vince Utoli earlier today about the film because he still hasn't seen the film. How I, I listen, man. I don't know. Jeez. Um, oh, of all people, like if you know Vince, this is kind of shocking. So yeah, I told Vince, I said, you know, it's one of those movies that, you know, it's not really a comic book movie. It just kind of uses the the comic book universe to make it believable. And I said, and what I mean by that is, if you take out the fact that it's Joker and it's Gotham, I don't think I could suspend enough disbelief to believe what's actually happening. That like. All those factors could go into making a person nuts. That's just your average Joe. I go, I can believe it slightly because it's Joker, but it it, it just kind of uses Joker and, and the Gotham universe to kind of help with the story. Yeah, I thought, if anything, it really brought more eyes to it because people were waiting to see the Joker, mm-hmm. and it didn't necessarily happen. But you can't take away from Joaquin's performance. In that. Yeah. I mean, it's downright creepy. It's, yeah. It was very well done and and yeah i mean you can listen to our past episode about mm-hmm. the joker review we, yeah we, we we talk heavily about that best actress in a leading role went to renee zellweger uh for her portrayal in judy uh which uh, from my understanding is about uh judy garland yep. and she dedicated the oscar to judy garland who never won the award uh definitely gotta see it because it, it sounds interesting and i you know renee zellweger is a pretty good actress uh, and then you get to Best Picture, which went to Parasite, beating out the likes of Ford v. Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And there was at some point in these big four uh, categories, I think it was around the time of Best Director, that when it went to the, the gentleman who directed Parasite, that somebody on Twitter went, oh my god, Best Picture's wide open. Who the hell is going to win this? Yeah, I thought this year's field was very wide open from the films that were done. I knew Joker was not going to win Best Picture. No, yeah, I, yeah, I knew that too. Yeah, that one, I was like, Joaquin should win that. It's a it's a great film, but mm-hmm. it wasn't going to beat it. I'll admit, I don't know that much about Parasite. I'm yeah, actually, neither have I. I'm actually going to give a shout-out to One Movie Punch. It is episode 628. Okay. So definitely have to take a listen to that again and you know really get caught up on this. And... Because, like I say, the movie definitely kind of was sparking some interest online. I, yeah, I had no problem the, with it. It's now the number one movie on the iTunes movie charts. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah. It definitely is, has earned the right. I mean, obviously, it wins that, that many awards. It's got to be worth something. Like yeah. I said, I can't stress. Taking a listen to One Movie Punch, episode 628, 
to get caught up on it because, like I said, I remember it, but like it's not sticking out. But now that I've seen the the movie and seen it all there, I got to take a re-listen. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I can't really argue with it because I mean, there was a lot of good films posted in that category. This yeah. Year, which, which usually there's always like one clear cut winner, and there's mm-hmm. always one that you don't know too much about that yeah. winning. Yeah. So this one, I'm definitely thinking is like, oh hey, yeah, it was also historic because it was the be- it was the first non English speaking film to win uh, best picture. Yeah. So congratulations to all the winners there. Yeah. Eminem decided to show up and do. Yeah, saying uh, what was it? Lose, Lose yourself because reasons uh i guess the reason he gave after you know after the award show was all said and done with was he never got around to doing it the first time around when the film you know when the song was nominated and won and if i remember the story correctly he was asleep when his name got announced for winning the award so maybe it was just two sides saying, hey you never got a chance to do this why don't we do this yeah i don't know the oscars are just weird to me I just love the. I just love the. There was a great article from BuzzFeed with all the people's reactions in the audience, and you, you know, from the likes of Billie Eilish looking very confused to Martin Scorsese being asleep. Yeah, like I said, Hollywood folks. Yep, it's interesting. Film Twitter definitely covered it well that night. So can't stress enough. Go download some one movie punch. Get caught up on the movies if you don't know about. Because I guarantee you, Joe and his team there have got it covered on that. So shout out to them. Shout out to everybody on Film Twitter too, because I know we got a lot of mutual friends on here on the independent podcast scene with that. So let's go to my one shots. And there was some MCU news that caught my attention. Okay. Sam Raimi mm. is being heavily rumored and tagged to taking over the helm of Doctor Strange 2. Man's playing the long game. Thoughts on this pad? Uh, I'm very surprised by this. You know, out of if you could have given me a list of directors well known or not well known to and say here Pick who you think is going to be the next director of the Doctor Strange film. I admittedly would not have guessed Sam Raimi. Um, I don't think he's really done anything comic booky since Spider-Man whatever one he last worked on. Was it three? It was three. Was it three? Okay. You know, hasn't really, to my knowledge, worked on anything comic booky. But like I said, he's playing the long game. Uh, I forget which one it was. He did name drop Doctor Strange in it. Yeah. It's always been kind of a pet project for him. So Doctor Strange in the... Multiverse of Madness, might we see a Tobey Maguire cameo appearance? You know, <sighs> if there was going to be a movie to have it, it's it, in the movie that was directed by the same guy who did the Tobey Maguire movies. It was going to happen. Tobey Maguire didn't want to do Spider-Man 4 without Sam Raimi. I, I I'm w- not saying it's going to happen. I'm saying if it's going to happen, it's going to be if here. It's gonna, if it's going to happen, I just, I just personally can't see Marvel signing off on that. I just, I don't, I don't know why. I just don't see it happening. The only thing I will say is Bruce Campbell will be in this. Yeah. Who is he going to play? I don't care. I don't care either. And you know what? If they want to have him come back as the usher who prevented Spider-Man from going into the, th- to the show, I'm okay with that oh because because you remember the throwback on the video game? <laughs> yeah. He always says, he goes, I'm the one person to stop Spider-Man. Yeah. And it's true. Bruce Campbell's yeah. amazing. So whatever yeah. he wants to do with this. I I have no issue with this. If they it's gonna go- be, one could say it's going to be groovy. Oh, you can go groovy, absolutely. I just don't want to see a dancing Doctor Strange coming out of a jazz club. I think enough time has passed and enough of the internet has hated on that scene that Sam Raimi knows. Uh, well, yeah, let's not do that. Let's hope not. Let's, I don't even want to see a joke about it. Just don't. Don't. I just. I have full faith it's going to go Evil Dead on this. So I'm very excited to see where it goes. Um, just got made, made official and let's go. You know, let's get weird. I'm, yeah, I'm down for that. And some other comic news going on. This week, it was officially announced we're going back for an encore. May 2020, Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo, oh. 
DC death metal. You want to talk about Let's Get Weird. The opening montage has Wonder Woman with the chainsaw of truth. Oh, Lord. I'm just saying metal was batshit crazy the first time. I have no idea what they're doing for a sequel. It looks. They'll probably top it. It looks absolutely bonkers. I cannot wait to see this um, when it comes out in May. I'm hoping it'll be on trade, maybe by New York Comic Con, so I have something to get signed with my last night on Earth. Uh, you know I, I say this team is the best in comics, and I stand to my guns about that one. I absolutely love everything they do when they put a project together, so this is going to be a must-grab when it comes out. I just I don't know what the hell they're going to do. It's just going to be absolutely insanity to the walls. I cannot wait to watch this when it comes out. Lock and Key, I will touch upon very lightly because I know Pat has not seen it, and I don't want to go into a full me talking segment about it. Loved it. It's very good. I'm going to be doing a blog at some point about it. Uh, it's well worth the time on Netflix. And I was actually happy we had some listeners shoot a line saying I didn't hear about this show coming out until we talked about it. And they are now hooked on it. And they are actually going down to some comic shops to go get some issues. So that's how you know you have a great show when you're inspiring fans to go to a comic shop and pick some up. And like we touched upon last week, it has been announced that there will be some more lock and key coming out later this year. Well, there you go. Yeah, so I'm super, super excited about that. Speaking of the comic shops this week, kind of a strong week for Marvel, DC. DC, very Batman heavy. Very, very Batman heavy. I was looking at it the other day. I'm like, holy crap, there's a lot of Batman-related books coming out. Yeah, which, I mean, it's never a bad thing. No. It's not a tie-in issue, though, this week, so there's a little break from that. But there is a book that is coming out from DC this week that I think people should go pick up, and it's going to tie back into what we let off with. They're going to be doing a Black Label Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey book with Amanda Connor and Jimmy, Jimmy Palminati doing it. If you want the true voice of Harley Quinn, this is the one you pick up. Mm-hmm. Their run has redefined the character into what you see on the screen now. It is going to be an absolutely great book to pick up if you're not familiar I'm not even going to go into spoilers or what it's about, so just get down your comic shop and pick it up if you are into Harley Quinn. Uh, and if you're not, I'm going to recommend Superman uh, issue 20. Uh, listen, I'm going to give you a three-word, well, two words and one letter uh, sentence to kind of sell you on this book, on this comic. Superman v. Mongol. Boom. That's all I need to say. All, Sup- you- all Superman's taking on Mongol. Absolutely. And for the Marvel side, uh, it's heavy X-Men week. Yeah. X-Men number six, X-Force number seven. X-Force is the best book out on that line right now, bar none. Donnie Cates, Thor number three is out, and that book has been absolute freaking wild. Uh, Spider, or I mean Star Wars, Rise of Kylo Ren number yeah. three is out. So yep. I know, Pad, you got that circled. So many good books coming out this week. You know we're going to be posting Justin's Sung Around video pick of the week uh you know he does his usual blog to get down to the comic shops shout out to brian from cheers the comics you heard his promo on this episode he always has the wednesday pull list you need to know about so if you're going down to the comic shop you definitely need to check it out so the music you heard on this episode is that of shout at the robots but we are going to be closing with some second suitor this week why second suitor goes out on tour the 13th of february They have a big run going and a very big Valentine's Day show going on locally in the 607. For all the information you need on those bands, plus Floodlands, Walking Distance, and so much more, OchoDuroParleyHour.com slash music. 
You can find the links to all the bands you hear on the show, including Fair City Fire as well. You can also head over to the ODPH directory from OchoDuroPolyHour.com. Find out about Tom from Off The Cuff Gaming. You can find out about Excite Wrestling, who's got some big announcements going on. Photography by Mike Blakesley. Shout out to our favorite photographer doing some cosplay photos. And, of course, our fellow Hashtag 607 Podcast Brethrens. The Three Fat Nerds, shout out to Rich Ron, and hashtag Big Natty Cool, hashtag Challenge Accepted, hashtag It's Behind a Paywall for a Reason, Diesel. And, Pad, More Love is Scary is coming. Oh, Lord. Yes. Oh, uh, God. I have been told that Diesel has more episodes planned out, maybe like four months worth. Oh, God. I told wow. you. I told you, and I'm warning people, we can't talk about the episodes on the show. It's behind a paywall. The artiste is at work. He's got some stuff cooking. Rich was telling me he's got months planned out now. That's scary. Yes, it is. Fitting for love is scary. So if you need something for Valentine's Day, $1 will get you in the door. $3 to get you a better seat at the table. If you can get signed up for the 8122 Productions Patreon and find out everything that is love is scary. It is worth the while. And also on ODPH's website, theochoduroparleyhour.com, you can find out about parlay points and commentary blogs to the show, and you can find out all the links to our fellow podcasting groups. Shout-out to hashtag 607podcasts. Shout-out to Pod Nation, and shout-out to Next Wave, because that's all we got for this week. So for the one and only Padawan J. Thank you. Thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time. Cause it will never